0: Journey into the process of creating Tomorrow's Changemakers with Elaine Olson, founder of 4th Space, which creates space and gardens to shape the changemakers who will shape the world we live in. Elaine tells of the three pivotal events that influenced her awakening from her 20-year career in public sector government to work in a manner that made her feel truly alive and creative, and in turn lead her to her focus with 4th Space. Elaine beautifully explains how the key elements to future change makers rest with deeper levels of listening, questioning and connection to those around you in such a way that you are more open to new ideas, collaboration and actually feel moved to want to change from the inside out. It is focusing on the actual experience, letting go and leaning into what presents from the unknown that yields the most pertinent learnings and solutions rather than an overemphasis on results and outcomes. This is a super powerful conversation from a wonderfully grounded lady that contains a deep sense of knowing about where we as human beings need to truly focus on to yield the real answers that will shape a fundamentally different paradigm for a different tomorrow that is very required right now. So enjoy, Elaine.
1: Hello and welcome back to WA Real. I'm your host, Bryn Edwards. Schooling the changemakers of tomorrow to proactively build a new tomorrow are just some of the things we'll be exploring with my to- guest today, Elaine Olson. Elaine, welcome to the show.
2: Thanks so much, Bryn. Indeed.
1: So, I always like to explore with my guests at the start just how they have come to be in Western Australia. You're originally born and bred in Malaysia. Mm-hmm. How did you end up here?
2: I came here for a visit uh, on holiday Mm -hmm. to visit my sister, who was here as an international student at that time. And I met my husband-to-be on this river cruise that we were both on, just randomly. We were with uh, separate groups of friends. We connected and um, fell in love and got married. Well, on that trip. No, no, (laughs) no, that didn't happen quite like that. Uh, Super whirlwind. Yes, it um, happened over a period of um, six short months actually. Right. And uh, Kent is originally from Denmark, but he's a a resident of Australia and he'd been living here for about 10, 20 years. Uh, And we connected really well, and Perth has always been his home. And that's how we, we met, and that's how I came to be in Australia. And Western Australia has always been uh, the place that I've stayed in. I've never really lived in any, in any other parts of Australia at all. So this is how I came to be in WA. Awesome.
1: As you were growing up in Malaysia, did you know much about Western Australia?
2: We did learn a little bit about um, WA through geography books. And first thing I learned was that Perth has a Mediterranean climate and we also learnt about Kalgoorlie and the gold mining that happens there. So there were bits and pieces of history that we learnt about and the geography as well but not much more than that.
1: Right. And so you now consider this home?
2: For sure, yes. This is um, a home in more in, in every sense of the word, uh, I, I feel like I belong here now right. and um, I've got my mum and dad here too and a sister. Right. Uh, so they, they, they're close by. So you and, shuffled
1: the whole family across.
2: Yes, this is what happens with the, the, the Asian family thing. You, you don't just have mum and dad uh, and uh, siblings. Mum and dad also have sisters and brothers and the, the whole extended family is also here. Oh wow. Yes. Land and expand. Yes, <laughs> oh, which is great. Uh, yes. So it's not like I'm missing family. Um, right. They're here with me, yes. Mm.
1: What are some of the things that you enjoy now here?
2: Uh, doing a lot of uh, camping, mm. bushwalking, uh, spending time by the beach, all real Aussie stuff mm. that, I'm, that I'm into, yes. And... I do read quite a lot of books as well, but in terms of um, things that I do here in WA that keeps me um, happy is, is just being outdoors and connecting with nature. That's something I, I, I've always leaned towards, but I think I have discovered also a deeper connection to nature yeah. as a result of my growth in, in different ways. Awesome. Hmm.
1: So, as I alluded to in the introduction, you've got a strong focus of playing your part in shaping the future Mm. with your company, Fourth Space, Mm -hmm. and your work with the Ankle Collective.
2: Yes. Where
1: does that um, strong focus come from in Elaine's story? Is it something you've always had or is it something that switched on?
2: I guess it switched on uh it was never in me and i am a late bloomer in terms of making a difference and wanting to create change so it wasn't until i was in my late 40s did i experience a sense of coming alive mm. and accompanying that sense of feeling alive was this really compelling strong urge to actually Co-create a different kind of future for uh, the next generation. So I've got two grown children, and I've watched them struggle in different ways, and realized that we need to be creating a different kind of future that is that is about being alive, mm. that takes care of community and people, and also nourishes the planet that we live on. So that came about because I, with myself, experienced this sense of awakening.
1: Right. Can you tell us a bit more about this awakening?
2: <laughs> yes, I can. It sort of started when I joined an innovation program in a government department. Mm. So you've been um,
1: working for the government for a good 20 odd
2: years. Yes. You? So I was a public servant at the mid-levels and did that for well over 20 years. Um, got uh, some satisfaction and some rewards from that, but never really felt 100% satisfied.
1: What drew you to work in a government department in the first place, just out of interest?
2: It was uh, an opportunity to have a stable job, it was an opportunity right. to make a good income. Right, and that's that was probably the two main reasons why I joined the public sector. Things you should do. Yes, correct. Right, and it was easy to move into that mode of working and being.
1: And what sort of things did you do during your twenty years, just at a summary level?
2: Sure. Um, Mainly, I started as a librarian, so and did that for about seven years, and then moved into policy into policy roles. And dabbled in areas like international trade and development, um, executive recruitment, a bit of e-government, mm. and um, a bit of um, IT as well. So bits and bobs, and it was with different government departments, so I didn't stay in just one department. Yes. But, um, so there's it, a bit of variety in that. Mm, mm. And it was, it was interesting and it was fine, but wasn't mm. fully satisfying for mm. me. And, and I only knew that because I did this job what, in tell innovation. Tell us about the job. Pardon?
1: Tell us about the job that brought about the awakening.
2: <laughs> it was a, a, an innovation program. And my only brief was to foster a culture of innovation. And I literally could do whatever I wanted. I, gave, I was you know, able to give full expression to my creativity and I just flowered and it was mm. a gradual process I didn't, it didn't just happen overnight was that scary at first? no it was very enervating and mm. um, life giving because mm. I had suddenly discovered something I was really passionate about and I, I loved doing it mm. and I think it was because of this love of doing what I was doing that I, I just experienced this sense of I I need to be doing more of this sort of stuff and then when I was given the chance to leave government I thought to myself I need to be inspiring and enabling others to feel the same sort of aliveness as well Uh, so is
1: that part of the impact that drives you on?
2: yes yes that I'm not the only one that should experience this that this needs to be on a whole scale needs to be at a at a systems wide level, this needs to really be for humankind, in mm. a way, um, because it's so precious and it's so fantastic, and it and it should not just be um, the domain of a few individuals that have experienced that awakening. So yes, that's how it sort of started.
1: Hmm. Mm. So kind of where do you go from there then Mm. it's one thing I imagine it's one thing having this awakening within the cradle of the government job Mm. but then to actually decide to leave it after 20 years and go and strike out did you go strike out by yourself? or
2: I had no job to go to. Mm. Uh, so I did float around for a little bit. But by that time, mm. I had uh, joined ankle mm. And ankle probably was um, the the third part of my awakening. So the second part of my awakening after doing that innovation job was this um, huge pilgrimage that I did across northern Spain called the Camino de Santiago.
1: She's one of the ultimate pilgrimages.
2: Yes. And that again kind of awakened me in a different way as well so not only was it physically demanding and mentally challenging but it also connected me with myself and i found a kind of spirit so hence i guess why the camino is known as a spiritual journey you do find a kind of spirit that you never knew you had so that was the the second part of my awakening and then the third part was when um, I decided to become really active in ENCOL and it uh, joining a group of people that believe in alternative futures and saw a different way of thinking, doing and being m- gave, opened up my eyes to things like um, sensing a different kind of future, being co-creative, being okay with uncertainty, leaning into what is presenting itself in that moment and and not being too hung up on results or outcomes or a definite destination or a goal that you want to aim for. But mm. the whole thing of being on a journey was much more important. And I think I realized that uh, through doing what I did with Enkel, it... Well I threw myself wholeheartedly in into it and it was me that wanted to do it just mingling with that sort of yes people and in that milieu just made made me feel really open. Mm. Yes.
1: You're selecting your peer group isn't it? And then being part of that. Yes. By that frequency that. Yes. Energy and thought mm. of mind. Mm. Mm. So tell me about Fourth space and creating future change makers.
2: Mm. So the fourth space is a prototype. So it's a prototype of a change making entity. The first prototype I tr- tried with Enkel, and then I had a second prototype that um, I did uh, with two other people. and And this is my third iteration. So th- this is where the whole aspect of design thinking comes into the way I'm approaching my life. Is that uh, how do I create opportunities that build upon each opportunity rather than aim for the ultimate ultimate thing. So the fourth space is um, a prototype of what I'd like to see emerge in my future. And it is about running innovation labs at this moment, social innovation labs, and a lot of that learning and knowledge I've gained that I've prepared for the fourth space has come about through a couple of important change-making courses that I've been on. Right. Uh, and they've been catalysts in further Creating more growth for me. So, running innovation labs, running social labs is about um, creating a a, a a learning journey.
1: Social innovation lab.
2: Um, It is. It's got that definite strong people focus. Yes. It's got that uh, connection to community. Mm -hmm. It's about building social capital. What what does that
1: mean for the uninitiated listener?
2: Social capital is about the capacity of people and communities uh, to be um, a source of innovation and a source for good. And it's about connection and well-being and belonging. And that capital, as opposed to financial capital, is what is needed to... Take mm. us to the next level of human growth. Mm. That's my interpretation, anyway. I love it. <laughs> and we don't give enough cre- credence to the importance of social capital.
1: It seems to come sort of, you know, bottom on the list of mm. important things.
2: Mm. Yes, we seem <clears> to be focused on making money. Um, we, we want um, a financial economy, but we don't take into consideration the people's side of things as much as we should do. Mm. And I think now we're seeing sort of the, the not so good effects of that sort of economy where it's all about profit and growth. And there's only so much that we can grow. In that sphere. In that, yeah, that's right. Mm.
1: Yeah, because if you think about it as well, you know, you sit. I see it a lot in individuals around me who put themselves last, mm. as well, and then you start to see things deteriorate for themselves, mm. which is a microcosm of what potentially is happening on the planet as well. Mm. So, I guess if I was to come along to your lab, yes, and be one of your Let's put it this way. You're guinea pigs. Yes. <laughs> what would I experience?
2: So... Bearing
1: in mind, by the, my understanding of it is I'd be a bit too old for fourth space. Is that right? Is <laughs> well, it 21 well, to 35?
2: Oh, actually, I think I need to review that. <laughs> okay.
1: Anyway, we'll come back to that. But anyway. Yes. As a guinea pig, what would I experience?
2: You would experience the art of deep listening the the art of dialogues the opportunity to connect with others at a deeper level where you are being more empathetic Um, you would experience coaching circles you would experience uh, this deeper connection with others in such a way that you'd be more open to new ideas, more open to collaboration, and more ready to change yourself so that you can change things around you. Mm. Sounds like a big ask, it's but it, and it's really hard to describe it because um, it has to be experienced to be understood mm. in a way. And it is a learning journey because you're, you're, first of all, learning about yourself. And you have to be able to want to change yourself first before you can embark on any change-making activity. Otherwise, whatever change you want to create will be hollow. And so the change must first occur within yourself. And so that's the premise that we work with. Be the um, change in the world you want to see. Yes.
1: Mm. it's really interesting what you're talking about there in terms of you know, coaching circles deep listening mm. you know, that's, part of that is what I've created here, with the podcast mm. you know, I end up listening to people, mm. the lost art of listening and sometimes people say to me are oh, you really good at it Bryn. You know, what makes you so good and, and glibly half the time I say, it, it's two things I ask questions and then I shut Mm. <laughs> and I listened to the actual answer but it's really fascinating that you should um, use those as components because well imagine that uh, to start with it would take some effort to hold those components because they're not readily, uh, readily seen or accessed or mm. in everyday life does that
2: Yes, it is actually quite difficult to listen deeply, and for most of us, we, there's four levels of listening. This is something that we've, I've learned from a course called Theory U, and it's this mm. really important meta-change framework that um, I've been exposed to. So there's four levels of listening. So level one is when you're downloading information that you already know. And level two listening is when you're learning something new. Level three listening is when uh, you're beginning to take a more empathetic view. So you're able to step into somebody else's shoes and see it from their perspective. Level four listening is really cool because this is when you are so present in your listening that when somebody is speaking, you begin to feel a shift within yourself and you begin to feel very different. And I think a lot of us have experienced that when we've listened to inspirational speakers. Yes. That. You're so entranced by it. And when they finish speaking, you, you go, wow, wow, I am inspired. I feel different. Yes. I need to go out and do something now. I need to be doing something that makes a change. Mm. So that's level four listening. That's when you, your, your, your whole being is kind of engaged, but it's more than being engaged. It's, more, it's just really being super present. That's really interesting. And that not many people can be at that level of listening because it takes practice. And when we're not listening at that level, it's, we're often building up the moment to say what we want to say in response, And we're also having voices in our head, discounting what the other person's saying, belittling them,
1: or... I don't like their accent, don't like their t-shirt. Yes. The way they're presenting that's pretty annoying.
2: Yes. And then there's also the voices of judgment and voices of fear. This is crap. Yes. So the art of listening deeply is to be aware of those voices. Yeah. And being conscious of them so that it doesn't become you.
1: That's super interesting because I imagine everyone at some point has for whatever reason been transfixed by somebody they've been to hear talk or five to seven minute YouTube mm. clip that a friend mm. has sent them and it's just like quit them up. It's almost like that level four listening has been cracked open mm-hmm. through luck rather than design.
2: Yes. And there's also something about listening from the whole. Mm. And this is being, for me, it's about being so aware of where you are at that precise moment. That something is actually stepping in from the future and landing ever so softly into your lap. And it is the future calling you to doing something different, or amazing, or cool. Um, whatever you want. To call yeah, whatever you want to call <laughs> it. Yeah. But you know, yes, you can feel it. Yes, that's right. And it, and it is a call of the future. For and then the next step, of course, is to take action. Uh, and then there's there's a lot of us who gets um, who move into the into the actionless mind where you are paralyzed by thinking too much, by your voices of fear, by your voices yeah. of judgment. And um, and then that action in this mind stops you then from leaning into your future. Mm. And then opportunities are missed. Mm. And so this is where the whole idea of prototyping is really important, because I have this vision that I want to build a school for change makers, but I, I can't possibly build one right now, so. These are my prototypes. The fourth space is a prototype that builds towards that future. Because if I want to aim to build this huge school that has so 10 stories in it. I don't know what it would look like, to be honest. It, yes. Yeah. But imagining if it was a 10-story building, it had um, 600 people working in it. Can't possibly build that now. But just by starting with small with my little... Fourth space, creating these little learning journeys Mm. with um, teams and organizations that want to go on it. It's my chance to actually prototype my ideas
3: Mm.
2: so that I don't scare myself too much with this huge visionary thing that may be actually unachievable at the end. So I, I just go with these prototypes that enable me to build towards what I feel could be possible. And the thing that comes at the end of it may not be... A ten-story building with six hundred people working in it. It could be um, anything. Yeah, little hubs that pop up around WA. That could be the school that I'm thinking of, and it's little mini schools. It could be a mobile school that travels around regional WA. Um,
1: It is the spirit of a school.
2: Yes, and in fact, maybe the school, the word school, isn't quite right too, because I, I. I want it to be an alternative kind of education as well. So mm. I play around with the word unschool sometimes.
1: An unschool.
2: An unschool. Because we have to unlearn the ways we've been taught and the way we've been educated. In what way? In what way? Yeah. <laughs> um, so I've, the way I've been taught and the way I see kids being taught now is that we spoon feed kids. Yes. And we stuff information down them. Yes, we do. And we hope, and usually we regurgitate everything. But there's no deep learning, there's no experiences, there are no real skills that are being learnt to actually get kids ready for a different kind of future where the future that we know today is gonna be, and tomorrow, is gonna be really different from what we know now. So we're still actually persisting with, um, an industrial revolution type education system Mm. where kids sit in rows and they are treated like little robots. Um, and, and spoon fed information when we really need to be able to let them loose in lots of different ways.
1: I read recently that if you took someone from the turn of the century or early last century. And brought them now, everything would be unrecognizable except mm. for school.
3: Mm.
2: Perfect.
1: <laughs> school would be the one place where they go, Oh, I recognise this.
2: Mm. It hasn't changed very much from a mm. hundred years ago.
1: So how does one enlist in change making course or stuff who who typically you're attracting currently? Uh-
2: at the moment, I'm trying to attract organizations, mm-hmm. and, uh, we're, we're, and I've approached a few people that understand the Theory U mm. stuff.
1: It's popping up all over the place, Theory U. Right.
2: Right well, is in my world. Good. <laughs> good. I hope that. And I've that's... had Adam Yorlin talk about it. Right.
1: Briefly. Yes. And you've taken it to more depth.
2: Yes. Uh, so I ne- I'm starting with people who uh, who understand some of the principles behind Theory mm. U because it's not an easy thing to communicate this learning journey. Uh, and people will often say, well, what's it got to do with my business? What's it got to do with making money? What's it got to do with the economy? And that's the hard part because we are conditioned to be like that first, Mm. rather than take a step backwards and go, actually, if we want to be more innovative, and we want to actually deliver new products and services, we actually need to allow our people to experience something new and different, Mm. so that they can come up with these ideas themselves. And they can actually help this organization move into the 21st uh, century. Um, And and rather than um, be doing the same old, same old, it is not business as usual. Hmm. It is no longer business as usual. And I think there's evidence all around us to show that it's not business as usual. So...
1: I think there's evidence to suggest that many of the systems and machinations and organisations and ways of being are not working. I think we we can feel it. Hmm. But then also... You know, I think a previous podcast guest said, you know, look at the canary birds that are around us, you know, the high rates of suicide, the high rates of depression and anxiety. Mm. People don't go out that way just to be anxious and depressed. I mean, yes, there's always going to be a small percentage of the bell curve at the top and bottom who are for whatever reason genetically wired or whatever to be like that and that's always going to be the case but that you know we're talking fine grades the top and bottom five percent or two percent mm. so why is the middle 96 percent suffering with prolific depression anxiety i would think that's a mm. symptom
3: mm-hmm.
1: what are the causes many machines and systems and things in place that put the actual human... Oh, my God. Here I am. (laughs) And for the listeners, I always speak to my guests beforehand about switching their phones off.
2: (laughs) My sincere apologies. I thought it was actually off.
1: I wish the listeners could see you are (laughs) blushing.
2: I'm actually going to physically turn it
1: off. Right. But, um... Yeah, back to the point being that um, it seems that everything that we live by is structured, like we said earlier on, with the real acknowledgement of the human journey being way down the list. Mm. And everything that is probably, seems really, really important right now, money and stuff, uh, is... Too far up the list of Mm. priorities in the design of it all. Mm. Is this what human design is
2: about? About money?
1: No, about putting (laughs) humans first in the design of things.
2: I believe it is. Uh, Yes, I'm, I'm, I'm... I get a sense that we've forgotten to be human and we've Hmm. forgotten what it's like to be deeply connected to each other. And what you've talked about are those um, symptoms and those signs that those connections are not there anymore. And we really need to re... I I, I don't like the word use, rethink, but we need to rethink the way we are we need to re feel the way we are. Mm. We need to re be the way we are. Oh, I like that. Yeah. So, just the way we are being at the moment, we're not actually being. We're just, we're doing. We're doing a lot of stuff. We're thinking a lot of stuff.
3: But oh, yeah. we're. Should, yeah.
2: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but we're not necessarily being a being. And being being means here means now being present um, but we're always thinking about the past planning for the future being worried about the fight I had yesterday uh, being worried about the report I have to put on put in tomorrow and so a condition to be like that <laughs> And that's giving us so much grief.
3: Mm. Mm.
1: It's fascinating because I've had a few people not so long ago on the podcast talking about meditation Mm. and being present and Mm. and mindfulness and this and the other. Um, But it's it's interesting listening to you speak. It's almost through living and working in the world of work and going through government and then having this epiphany job and then moving forward. you, You know, the stuff you're talking about here, and we're talking about from a very much a... Well, if we, if we place this first in the organisations that we put together and the way that we work and the way that we've been. And then to hear you talk just then, that's coming at the similar end, mm. just from a different journey. If that, does that make sense?
2: I believe it does. Yeah. <laughs> but there's so many people that reaches this awakening Mm. at this point in their lives. And for me, people would say it's a midlife crisis. Well, actually, the the crisis is happening sooner. um, And maybe that's not such a bad thing. You do need to have a crisis in order to wake up. Mm. Um, But how do you help people uh, awaken sooner rather than continually be in crisis mode? Mm. And... um, and help them reach a higher level of awareness sooner so that they can actually struggle better we will struggle oh. that is humankind's lot in life we will be struggling but how do you struggle in a way that is better that is richer better
1: struggle mm. can we bring about the awakening sooner it seems that Yeah, if people are going to struggle, struggle better. But there will always be, I don't know, there, there may always be this point where the struggle just gets to a point that it's like, no more. And the epiphany drops in and it's like, oh, it's off now. Mm. I mean, it's...
2: How do we awaken them sooner? I'm hoping my... Or, l-
1: or is it... Yeah. Yeah. Because there's, there's a part of lived experience in here.
2: Yes. Because
1: we can read, we can read a lot of stuff. And I, I've had this of, of recent. Cognitively, I understand stuff. Mm-hmm. But then all of a sudden it drops from cognitive to actual embodiment. And I've had the experience and I'm in the moment and I'm like, oh crap, that's what I read about in this book. Mm. Oh, I truly get it. Mm-hmm how do we accelerate that uh,
2: that's why it has to be a learning journey mm. over a period of time and I moved away from offering one-off workshops and um, one-off talks to, to creating this learning journey because it has to be over weeks and months mm. for that penny to drop mm. it's, transformation doesn't happen overnight unless yeah. it's uh, well it does happen overnight in some yeah. instances Um, but intentional transformation takes time Mm. and, and people just need to want, need to be curious. Yeah. Um, and, and I think they have that curiosity. That's a very step, first step towards realization towards um, an opening for something new and different to come through. just have to be curious. But even sometimes that curiosity is squashed out of us.
3: Yeah.
2: Mm. can't think like that. You can't talk like that. You can't try that. That's too outrageous. That's too silly. Mm. Yeah. So what else do you
1: focus on with your work?
2: Um... I, I, at the moment, I'm doing some work for um, a a couple of schools, and I'm taking part in um, a special program that's about bringing more creativity Mm. into um, into schools. And so I go into two different schools, and I'm doing a lot with the teachers and with the students to infuse more creativity into the way they teach and the way they learn. Mm. Uh, so that's one way that I'm uh, creating another small shift and doing it teacher by teacher, and doing it student by student. And it's been really fun and i I'm, mm. I'm growing. I can f- and I'm and I know I'm growing because I'm feeling uncomfortable as well. Mm. There's this discomfort when I'm experiencing something new and different and I'm saying to myself, this is, this is okay. This is okay to be uncomfortable. If, you're, if you don't know it, you, you, that means you're learning it. Mm. So it's been great in that respect.
1: What sort of exercises and things do you do with the teachers? Curious to know.
2: I'm actually coaching them quite a lot. Um, And slowly introducing them to the idea of systems thinking Mm. and getting them to see the connection between what they're doing with their students, what's happening in their personal lives, how they're interacting with uh, the school principal and other teachers, um, and, and just helping them to see that everything that they're doing is interrelated and interdependent as well and also teaching them the art of good questions mm. and the art of listening intently. So I've had feedback from the teachers to say, um, I've been learning a lot about how to ask better questions and learning so much more about my students as a result. So it seems as if it's gone to that level where it's about deepening the relationship with, their, with they Again, have with yeah. their students in order for them to be able to teach better and in order for the students to learn more deeply as well mm. going back to that that crux of human connection it is the relationship that matters the most what makes
1: better questions just as an example <laughs>
2: <laughs> um, the simple task of asking why five times for yeah. example Doing that and, it un- and unpacking it down yeah um, and drawing back the question to other things that they've been grappling with. Yes. Oh, so is the way you're thinking now actually related to what happened um, yesterday, mm. um, is that related to uh, what uh, you saw happening in the staff room? So helping...
1: Yeah, how that shaped what you're doing. Yes.
2: Yeah. So the art of good questions is just helping them see the connections and hopefully in the process getting them to practice the art of good questions. Asking good questions as well. And I'm doing that with the students. Yeah. And that's also interesting because I they're know. not used to asking questions. And the teacher pointed it out to me. She said, It's always the teacher that's asking questions, but we never ask the students to ask questions of us. Mm. So I'm often in a co learning mode when I'm with the teachers and the kids. And I've said that to the kids as well. I'm here to co learn with you because I don't know everything. And you know some things that I don't know. So I'm here to learn as much with you as I am teaching you too Mm. Um, so yes kind of empowering the students to to have agency that's Mm. a new word I've learnt as well to have agency
1: to ask questions
2: and to be who they Mm. want to be
1: Mm. it's interesting about asking the five whys behind a question Mm. because I used to have to explain this junior consultants who came on board Mm. when I was a management consultant in that. The question that you get asked in a meeting by a client or stakeholder or something is obviously, not as obviously, is the tip of the iceberg of a lot of thinking. And you might think that the question is this. But actually there's been layers and layers and layers of thinking mm. underneath that. Mm. And so, it's, so I always used to find that answering the first question a client asked me, almost like trying to shoot a bullseye, bullseye in the dark, because I don't really know ultimately what was the concern or worry or fear or mm-hmm. curiosity that was the origin of that Question. question. And so I used to prompt junior consultants to just ask a couple of questions, and, and just as simple as that's really interesting. Where's that question come from? Mm. Um, mm. It's also another great way of <laughs> of um, <laughs> uh, it's another great way of exposing people who just feel like that they need to add value to a meeting by chucking a question out there. Uh, Because if there is no thinking behind it, it gets exposed really quickly. Yes. But where there is proper thinking behind that, then you can actually get that. And then when you do go about answering the question, you're answering the original concern. Yes. Which means you actually, you switch the light on, you know where the target is, and you shoot it pretty much point blank. Yes. And um, yes, and I, I just learned that through you know, going away, writing reports for people coming back and then they say, oh, this, this is great, Brim, but it's, it completely doesn't answer the question. And I'm like, Whew. But it does. <laughs> the question was this, and there's the five pages of it. And then after they go, no, no, it's this. And you're like, oh, well, you didn't tell that. And so it's like peeling it back, peeling it back, peeling
2: it back. Yes, and the trick with asking good questions is also challenging assumptions. Yes. So we. that's
1: really where you want to play.
2: Yes. And we make so many assumptions in our heads about each other, mm. but we don't air these assumptions often enough. Mm. So uh, the art of asking questions is also to give, to surface those assumptions. Mm. Why are you thinking like that? Because, um, I, that's just me. Why is it you? Because that's how I was brought up. How were you brought up? Mm. Um, I was brought up in a really strict environment. What was that strict environment like?
1: Catholic girls' school, or something <laughs> like that. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And then
2: you be, and this is where the empathy bit starts coming into yes. play as well, because all of a sudden you're seeing it from their point of view, and mm. therefore your your questions and your learning deepens as a result of mm. what you know about them, and I, I believe that the quality of our results really depends on the quality of our relationships. In every sense of the word. Mm. Yeah. So if you want to cultivate, if you want to aim for something extraordinary with your results or your outcomes, just start by getting to know the person you're working with mm. at the very simple, basic level, and then deepening that knowledge in a way that enables you to connect with them at the next deeper level. Yes. So you're not just having a. a surface level conversation, but you're actually... Yeah, about this,
1: that, and the other, yeah. and football, and da da, yeah. da da da
2: Yeah.
1: It's the next level down. Mm. Hmm. And it's important because then you truly, truly connect. And uh, i found that, that investment in time and energy yeah means that when you, certainly in a work sense, for me as a, as a consultant, when I did then have to put the report together, when I had to do the work, it was actually done quite quickly. Mm. And it added value. Mm. And it hit the mark.
2: It saved you time and it probably made you money. Yes. Yes.
1: I used to, uh, uh, another one, and it's very similar again. Again, with junior consultants, they'd be very keen to come in and like, this is what I know. I can fix your problem. Because, you know, as consultants, we were there to fix business problems. Um, and this is, the, this is the answer and um, yeah I saw a lot of that when I started to work for one particular global management consultancy mm. um, and I, again I used to just almost have to hold their hand and go just shut up for another 5 or 10 minutes because the client will give us the answer because so the answer is the actually within the client and he's just brought us yes. in to try and tell him the answer but we're not I'm just going to sit here and listen, and ask questions, and the answer will drop out. And then I'll go and build on the answer. Yes. And push it forwards and shape it, and this, that, and the other. And then we'll truly go somewhere.
2: So, we need to be teaching our kids how to do this from an early age. Hmm. We need to be encouraging parents and teachers to be coaches. Hmm. Not to tell the kids what to do and give them advice about the best way to do them, but actually coach them so that they learn themselves. Mm. Mm. What was your
1: parenting like <laughs> to get to this?
2: My parenting? Who
1: That you received, not that the one I, that oh. you, not that you delivered.
2: Um, yes. So coming from a Chinese culture, um, it's, it's usually top down, top down. <laughs> usually, um, mum and dad knows best. Yeah. Um, usually, uh, you get, um, given directions or instructions and
1: you just do and you
2: just do it yeah so and
1: and then that proliferates at school
2: at school pretty much yeah Yeah. so teachers are seen as authoritarian figures Mm. at school and and also a figure of authority so you don't ever question Mm. the teacher in 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 an Asian school not from my experiences anyway it may Mm. be different now Um,
1: but there'll be many others that experience something similar probably and so therefore, yeah, you can see how that then that plays out.
2: Mm. But in order for the teacher to be a good coach or to be a good facilitator, mm. they, do, they do need uh, smaller classes. Mm. Uh, they need to provide, be able to provide that more personal approach. And it's hard when you've got a class of 30 Yes. and you're just one one teacher in that classroom, so I can also understand how the system is set up in such a way that it actually prevents mm. real innovation and real creativity to to emerge because you know there's pressures on on getting the kids to school there's pressures on funding schools there's pressures mm. on um, yeah so how do we how do we hack the system so that
1: is it small groups at the start to build that momentum within students to have the curiosity ask deeper questions, get ex- yeah want to do the deeper learning so that that then in and of itself becomes a habit so that they then become more self sufficient so you could actually put them in bigger classes later on mm-hmm. once that has instilled, installed mm-hmm.
2: I don't know the answer to that. I don't know. That. I'm just yeah. musing. Yes.
1: Yeah.
2: I think many things just need to be, to be adjusted and tweaked so that um, there's a, a different way and a newness enters the system in a small way. I, I don't think um, massive systems like education can actually be shifted overnight. It needs to be tweaked and adjusted and little prototypes need to happen so that... Um, mm decision makers can see that something is working because it's different
1: it's tricky isn't it It because again it's like when you talk you mentioned earlier on and you're talking to you know like a business owner about well how does this make me more money how does it do this how does it do that Mm. makes me more efficient profitable um it's kind of you've got to go and experience it and then you'll know
2: yes correct I can't tell you.
1: And so that's an investment of time and energy.
2: And trust. And trust. You have to trust the journey is going to yield Mm. something Something. for you. Yeah. And not be, um, you know, dead set for this thing that you want to achieve at the end of it.
1: It's not as simple as, well, it's not quite as simple as... Spend three weeks with me, then I will teach you how to weld. Then you can put metal together. <laughs> mm. But then even that opens up a doorway. To exactly. Cars or sculptures. See, there or is bridges. There is a
2: craft to all of that. Yes. The artisan. Mm. What happened to the the art of those sorts of craftsmanship? You know, you when you're welding, you can also weld a piece of art. Yeah. But that's no longer taken into consideration either. Well, so we has
1: gone to such a place of functionality and outcome.
2: Mm. Mm. Exactly. What happened to the heart and soul of welding, for want of a better example? <laughs> mm. There's a, yeah,
1: the thing that springs to mind is um, so, I go to movement classes. Oh, yes. Um, to improve in the variety and quality of the movement of my body, and mm-hmm. therefore my body as a result of it. And it stems back, the people who coach me are mentees of a guy called Ido Portel, who's out there looking at movement every day. And he called it, and it's not, an, his lexicon's interesting. It's not training, it's a practice. It's something you do every yes. day. Yes. And he talks about the craftsman. And he says the craftsman becomes the master because he, to quote him, because he just does the fucking work.
2: Mm.
1: Not because there's something out the back of it. Mm. It's because he just does the work. Yes. And this is similar. Yes. Go do the experience. Yes. Don't think about the outcome. The outcome will Mm. become apparent Mm. at the point in time.
2: Mm. Yes.
1: And so you're right. It's an investment of trust. Mm. How do we sell that?
2: <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I just have to uh, start with people that have experienced it first. Yes. And hopefully uh, it will be something that ripples out. Somebody who's experienced it will tell somebody who's who wants to experience it. And then it just grows like that. So it will almost be a word of mouth thing I feel. Yes. Um, so I can't. I can't over-market it and uh, and sell Mm. it. I just have to believe that the people who have done it will be able to bring others along the journey. Mm. Yes. That's probably the best way of putting it. Yes. Bring others along the journey. It's not even to persuade or influence them. It is to bring them along.
1: Just to do it. In and of itself, yeah. mm-hmm. which then will bring others.
2: Hopefully. That's my theory anyway. We'll see how it, how it pans out. Mm.
1: It's <laughs> with yeah. Those people then start acting, living, being mm. differently. Mm. And then people get curious and want a bit of that for themselves.
2: Mm. But doing it in a semi-structured way. Um, So this is where the notion of holding spaces and creating safe containers for this co-learning to occur, for the co-exploration to happen. Uh, You you can't... It's... This safe container space is actually really critical in Mm. enabling the, the aliveness to come through. Because you're giving... You're giving yourself into this process. You're, you're trusting that this is going to do something for you. And so this safe container space is really important in ensuring that that trust goes somewhere and mm. is nurtured and is grown so that the mm. people who come along on that journey is actually... And pushed along a bit at times. Yes. Mm.
1: Yeah, because whilst on one level, these are the most basic human calling we seem to have lost touch with them and so therefore to re-explore and mm-hmm. try these things back on and that mm-hmm. and sometimes get poked when you you know you, something comes up for you fear gets triggered and sometimes we can retreat back from that and yeah often we know that a little bit of poking to go and meet the fear head on so it can dissolve because there's usually a nugget of gold sitting behind the back of it. Yep. Correct. So again, you hold the space for,
2: yeah. For the letting go. Yes. Yes. Um, and, and you need... It collide
1: in an adult fashion.
2: Yes. And you may bruise and hurt and, and, it may, and it will be, there will be pain. Oh, that's great. But that's what happens in the letting go. Yeah. And in the letting go, there, there is rebirth something new comes through poke that fear and something else emerges but you have to be brave to poke it poke it um and if you don't then things won't heal things won't come good so lots of courage required um in in the creation of something new Hmm. Uh, and the courage also comes from the letting go and being, being ready to face pain, to face hurt. Um, because you, it is us that creates, or maybe it's the ego or the mind that creates that. Still part of yeah, us. Yeah, the unconscious or whatever it is it's called. It, it, is, it is a part of us, but it, it, isn't, it doesn't have to be us. you know what I mean anyway this is yeah kind of going down the philosophical esoteric (laughs) I didn't quite expect that
1: what did you expect today I don't know
2: Uh, let me see what did I expect I expected to be talking about all kinds of things I guess
1: this is a container for all sorts of things isn't (laughs) it is there anything else you'd like to talk about
2: No, I'm happy to go with the flow. Yeah. Yes. Tell me a bit
1: more about your involvement with Ankle. We had Adam here previously.
2: Mm. Um, Ankle's an interesting um, system, an interesting collective. All sorts of people come to Ankle, and they come from all sorts of backgrounds. Um, People are born here. People are born overseas people who have studied different professions, there's engineers, there's consultants, there's scientists. Um, and I think what ankle is, is about saying to you, you you can be who you want to be if you're prepared to just explore what could be possible. So future possibilities has has been one of Enkel's taglines. What are future possibilities? And you can interpret that tagline in any hundred ways. And uh, it is the possibility of yourself, the possibility of your work, the possibility of your family, the possibility of um, the system, the possibility of um, the organization you're working for, but it is just a chance to explore
1: open up to yes potential and opportunity
2: yes and I think that's that's what is appealing to me about ENCOL that's mm. what drew me to ENCOL too in the first place
1: you said earlier on you got quite involved in it
2: mm. very much so yeah what were you doing um, running lots of community workshops um, we did some consultancy work with local governments as well and ran some innovation and creativity workshops um, but there was really that strong community focus to it uh, there was also the new economy conference that ankle ran last year, which they are also planning to host this year but a much on a much larger larger scale They're mm. they're hosting the um the national conference so uh, that uh, I'm looking forward to that too
1: mm. Mm. what does ankle do at the moment Is it, still it, it has and-
2: um it's focusing at the moment on activating the Naval Store oh. in Fremantle. Yes. Except that it probably won't be called the Naval Store anymore. I think it could be called the Ankle Store. Mm. But I'm, I'm not 100% sure about that. Uh, and so the focus at the moment is activating that space and also on um, co-creating this national conference that is the New Economy Conference. So uh, I'm looking forward to actually see what emerges from Mm. those two activities I think it sort of heralds a new a new possibly a new phase for Perth in what way? Uh, that something like ankle can be seriously considered as a a change making organisation and that it has the, the, uh, the potential to shift people's mindsets people's way of thinking and doing and i think we're at sort of at that cusp at the moment not just here in australia but all over the world but i think it's significant here in wa because we've being slow adopters of many different things, and we're never leaders of big change. Um, So I'm hoping... It's our time. Yeah. Yes! I'm hoping that's the case. That it is our time. There's probably
1: less hope, more certainty with people like yourself doing things like this.
2: I hope so. Hmm...
1: Mm. It's fascinating. Sometimes I wonder why why I was drawn to come and live in Western Australia. And there's lots of like, surface and medium level answers. But then I sit here listening to people like yourself and I'm like, far out, this is exactly why I'm here. To be around things like this.
3: Mm.
1: And there is, I don't know, maybe maybe because of what I do with the podcast and and the extension of that to the people that I hang out with as a result of the podcast and things like that. But they just, to me, seems like a, an ever-growing receptivity. To I sense that too. Things that provoke you to think in a different way and test your own personal paradigm.
2: Mm. I sense that too. <coughs> the other thing I'm doing... Is bringing a really cool thing to Perth called the Chaos Pilot Masterclass. Whoa, go on. <laughs> um, so, when I was in Denmark recently, mm-hmm. um, and I and I know of a Chaos Pilot from from when I first joined Ankle, and there were two, there have been two. Um, major organizations that have been inspiring ankle. One of them is Chaos Pilot and the other one is Nomads in Amsterdam. So Chaos Pilot is based in Denmark and while I was there recently I popped in to visit them and um, they run master classes over in on the East Coast and I told them about my dream for building a school for changemakers and um, looking for ways of exploring opportunities to make that dream come true in some ways. So the masterclass is kind of like another prototype. Mm-hmm. So Chaos Pilot is um, a, a design business school um, based in Denmark, and they've got this masterclass thing running as well as a three-year full-time program mm-hmm. in Denmark itself where their students... Um, do a lot of project-based learning and these are real-world projects and the students themselves choose these projects as well uh, so it's, I understand, less theory-based and more real-world application type learning that happens but um, I'm uh, yeah keen to bring this masterclass here the masterclass is around facilitating learning environments that are creative and innovative So. Um, pretty much targeted at ed- ed educators, but also the learning, the learning, the learning professionals, the organisational development mm. people in in companies, for example. And it's about how do you facilitate uh, an environment that encourages people to learn in a way that's creative. Uh, so yes, I'm I'm keen to see what sort of um, response we get to the masterclass, which will happen in September. Uh, we're also having um, a taster event in July and that will be a bit of a prelude to the Masterclass as well. So, yes, I thought I'll just pop that in there because it's an opportunity to see another kind of education take place Yes. Um, in, in WA, another kind of learning that can take place. Um, and learning that's more experience-based and more immersive. Yes. Yes.
1: Hmm. I like that. It's just a growing, growing focus on learning and growing.
3: Hmm. Hmm.
1: So what have you learned about yourself in this journey?
2: (laughs) What have I learned? Um... Here's an interesting thing, right? I've learned that. Well, I knew I was gonna die one day, <laughs> but I've learned to be okay with the notion of dying. Oh wow! Yes. Tell me how that came. <laughs> out. And I, it's because I've been meditating out in nature mm. and um, feeling this connection to Earth and to birds and to trees and to air and to space and suddenly understanding that I am actually part of all of that and that if I were to die one day I would just disappear into all of that and and that's okay mm. So before I think I, I was too much in my head and my mind would be saying to me what's going to happen to you where you going to go, what what happens to your body, what happens to everything else about you. But actually, my mind isn't just about my mind. That was my mind telling me
3: Mm.
2: that my mind was number one. But really, it's not the only number one, that everything else about me is also number one. So um, I've been able to kind of, be aware of that too um, and understanding that yes um, learning to be okay with death is, has been part of my growth How has that
1: changed life?
2: Because
1: um, I've always wondered that whether that there may be certain nodes in our belief patterns mm. death being one of the mm. big themes death, life, love relationships, stuff like that but let's take death and at its very core you could either one of the options could be you embrace it like you have
3: Mm
1: -hmm. or you can reject it and like denial, it's not going to happen to me or it's not going to happen to me for ages or you know that very sort of fearful part of it so reject it And then if you play that out as a real base sort of belief, how does that paint life and some of the decisions you make without realising that that's sitting at the bottom of the well talking to you? So I'm just wondering how...
2: Yes, so it's made me realise that life, as we know it, needs to be about living. So I want to help create organizations that are alive mm. in every sense of the word. And being alive means not just extracting from the ground and extracting from people, but giving life back yeah. as well.
1: The whole of nature contributes Yes. To
2: yes, so this ties back to another colleague of mine who's from Enkel as well. Who um, is across the whole circular economy thing? Um, Life is circular, and and us as people working in organisations is it's important to acknowledge this circularity of of life, not just in the way we live, but in the way we work, because the way we're working is actually literally killing us. Yes. <laughs> yes. And, and taking away much of our life. It doesn't make sense that both sets of parents may go off to work full time and leave the children to be um, cared for by other people. And then you, you, your, your quality time with them is 10% of your, mm. of your life and um and I, and, I, and I don't want to knock that either because that is people's prerogative that's what they want to do and but it 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 it's not life giving but mm. we have to make money too. people will say, and I know that too so I don't know it's a conundrum that we're finding ourselves in. how do we um mm. shift from a place of Shift from a place of deadness to a place of aliveness in a way that doesn't negate what we're currently doing, but transitions us into uh, a space of giving. I don't know, because yeah, this is the conundrum that we're in. We the current way mm. of the status quo is. We have to make money. We have to be able to, um, you know, have things... Transact. Yes. But how do you and sh- then start putting your foot forward into the future and um, make that slow move across while this foot here is still in the current paradigm mm. um, and doing so in a way that enables you to continue to live in more ways than one. I don't know. It's just one of those philosophical questions, I think. But I think it is possible. As long as 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 long as we can be intentional about it. Yeah.
1: I've come I've started to hold the belief now that if you pose a question such as that, mm. then there will be an answer. It mm. sits on the other side of the question out there in the ether in Mm. fact I'm beginning to question whether if the question has been posed the answer was already there and now it's just poking you to ask it so it can be revealed
3: Mm.
1: Mm. and that's a cool way of approaching these super Mm. wicked complex the answer's actually trying to come to you
2: I believe it is. That's why it's
1: poking you to ask the question.
2: Mm.
1: And be revealed. Mm. What does the next? <laughs> there you go. What are the next uh, three to five years look like for you? Doing Probably lots answering of, that question.
2: Yes, doing lots more. Now the
1: answer's on the way.
2: <laughs> doing lots more prototypes, <laughs> mm. but doing it with other people. And doing it with more people Mm. Um, and doing it with different sorts of people as well. Mm. Uh, And uh, finding and co-creating tribes. And I think that's where that uh, lostness of people as well is coming from is that we're kind of tribeless. The, mm. And that tribelessness relates to a lack of purpose in our lives. So, tribes of meaning. As yes. As opposed to tribes that... Tribes of meaning. Absolutely.
1: Tribes as opposed to tribes that gather around a football mm. team. or a
2: Well, that can be meaningful too. Hmm. But as long as...
1: I but, ended up in a debate about that the other day. Go well,
2: <laughs> if, you create, yeah. if you're using football yeah. as a way of doing good... Correct. Yes. And creating social impact... Mm. Then that is extremely meaningful.
1: Mm. Yeah. If it becomes a main for sep- mean, a means for separatism.
2: Yes, or a means for aggression, then it's yeah. not cool.
1: Mm. Speaks for itself. <laughs> yes. What else in the next what else does the future hold?
2: Um I wanna see young people. Uh, come, move forward into this space of co-creation. Uh, because I'm, I'm middle-aged now, and
3: mm.
2: I'm in a place where I can hold the spaces for the younger generation to emerge forward, to, mm-hmm. to come through. So I'm hoping that. More and more young people will will be able to come help co-create this space with me and and carry this kind of space forward into 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 the future, yeah. And when I say young people, I'm talking people in their thirties, twenties. At this stage, not sure mm. about the teens yet. Mm. Mm. Yes.
1: How do you keep yourself? Um grounded and in, in all of this, because it's very heady stuff at times.
2: I wouldn't say it's heady stuff, because no, I don't spend actually, a lot of time since thinking I, about since it.
1: As soon as it came out of my mouth, I thought, <laughs> no, it's not heady stuff at all. But how do you keep yourself grounded? Or does the work itself keep you grounded?
2: Uh, it does. It does. Well, meditation helps me as well. Mm-hmm. Being out in nature is very grounding. So I, I try and do that every morning for at least half an hour if I can. Um, how do I, keep, I... I ground myself when I hear and see shifts in other people. So there, mm-hmm. is, there is no for me there is no ego in that where i go wow elaine you're really great you're doing this job and you're actually making people feel inspired and feel awesome i'm just going when i hear or sense or experience a shift in someone i'm going I'm, i'm connecting then yes into this deeper space of going yes this is good this is right this is who i am and so that keeps me grounded because this is what It means to be who I am. Mm. Yes.
1: Love it. Love it. One of the last questions I always ask my guests is, if you could take a small nugget of information and upload it into the collective consciousness, so we all just get it, (laughs) (laughs) what would that be?
2: I would say, find space in your daily routine where it is just you and nature and no one else. Even if it just means spending 10 minutes by yourself every morning. And then building up that amount of time and space into bigger and bigger windows of opportunity where it is just you and not your mind or your ego or um your subconscious but it's just the real you coming through so yeah creating the space in your daily routine if you can um to do that really super important Mm. because we don't have enough time to ourselves. And that's a cliche, right? But it is literally, you're not making time mm. to be, to be, mm. and you need to
1: make time to be. And there's nobody's fault other than your own for that. Mm. What is it I heard? And I mentioned this on a previous podcast, when somebody said, what was it, I don't have time to meditate for 20 minutes. Then the answer to that is you should meditate for sixty.
2: <laughs> mm. it doesn't even actually have to be mm. closed eye, sitting in cross-legged fashion and yeah, meditating. Yeah. It, it is just actually maybe so. sitting by the ocean and mm. watching the waves break. That's that's it. Or sitting in your garden and observing the leaves mm. and the flowers on your trees, and that's it.
1: Mm. Or at this time of year, watch Flames in a Fire Pit.
2: Yeah. Mm. Mm.
3: Mm.
1: Elaine, it's been fucking awesome talking to you today. I've
3: really,
2: really enjoyed it. It's
1: been super powerful.
2: Thank you very much for having me. It's been awesome. If people
1: want to come and find you, where can they find you?
2: They can look me up on my website, which is wwwthe 4 au. They can contact me that way. I'm also on LinkedIn, on Twitter, all the usual social media stuff. You're out there. I'm out there, yes. Out
3: there.
1: Thank you so much for taking time to Thanks. come
2: and talk to me. Thank you. <laughs>